Hello, welcome everyone. Welcome back. I am Joe, this month's host of The Commentarians. And I'm Emily Dixon. And we're here to talk over your movies. Uh, hi everyone, welcome to The Commentarians. Is this Prairie Home Companion? Husband Bulge is now a part of my permanent vocabulary. <laughs> I saw a squirrel. I am going to point out real quick, this to me is like the most disturbing scene in the entire movie. Stop listening right now and go watch Firefly. Hey, this is my podcast. I'm sorry, sorry, Joe. <laughs> we are saying that not only have we been wounded, we survive, and there's a God who heals of these wounds. Jesus isn't about the isms. Uh, he's about his kingdom. Because it is kind of like this idea that Jesus died for all of our sins, except when you had sex. And Jesus doesn't cover that. Uh, hi, everyone. <laughs> it's been a while, but uh, I am back, and we're here with uh, Emily Dixon. How's it going? It's crazy, but that's the way it always is, right? Yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> As everyone knows, I've been on uh, on a bit of a medical leave uh, from the podcast, but uh, I talked about that in the coming attractions. If you haven't heard that one, I'll probably discuss it there. Uh, and so, yeah, I just, uh, you know, uh, I'm pretty much better. I just need one more surgery to get uh, an artificial hip put back in. And I'll be good as new, according to the he doctors. He says so nonchalantly. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, you know, just another, just an artificial hip place back in, you know, like normal. Yeah, <laughs> you know, no we, we all know what that's like. <laughs> but we are glad you're doing better. I mean, I have missed doing these. And so it, I'm, I love being able to do all this and knowing that you're ready to jump back in and oh, get it yeah. going again and just the great conversations. And so, yeah, selfishly, it's good you're back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I very much enjoy doing them. And it's, uh, I'm so glad, yeah, like, you know, you're glad to have me back. I'm glad to get back because uh, I love watching movies and having somebody to discuss them with and actually, you know, un unravel them is uh, quite fun. <laughs> well, this one is going to have, like, so much stuff. I know, I, mean, I know, I've, I've watched this movie a million times and I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> well, I think it's fitting though. I mean, the, given the content and the basis of the movie, I don't think we're supposed to figure it out. Right, exactly. So um, what we're talking about is uh, a, serious, a Serious Man, uh, directed by the Coen brothers. Uh, give me a second here to pull up the IMDb. Oh, man, I should have had that already set up. <laughs> It's okay. We're all professionals here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. A Serious Man from uh, 2009. No real famous actors, but uh, quite a few character actors that you may have seen mm -hmm. in other movies. For example, uh, the most famous that I've noticed is uh, 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 Fred Melamond, who plays uh, Cy Abelman, and Richard Kind. Those are the most mm -hmm. famous folks that you'll recognize, but... Uh, I, I hear tell that the Coen brothers really didn't want anybody famous, anybody well, you know, recognized because you kind of needed to be immersed in the movie and more focused on yeah. the story rather than the than the actors. And you really are. And that's one of the Coen brothers strengths, I think, is they have a tendency to kind of erase characters and the actors. Sorry, more so than the characters, but the actors themselves. And I mean, except for when they want to highlight it. And yeah. they just know when to shine a light on an actor and when to just take it away. And right. so one of the reasons why I love their movies. And yeah, huge, huge fan. Yeah, me too. And so uh, let's see, what should we, uh, before we get into it, I did want to talk about the very first, the opening of the movie. Because mm -hmm. it is its own little story and it never comes up again which is going to be interesting to talk about. I want to focus on that while we're watching it. So let me just tell you, if you haven't seen the movie, what happens is uh, it takes place in the old country. Uh, mm -hmm. In, uh, I think, Russia, a Jewish family, basically. A man comes home uh, from the winter storm uh, to his wife, and he says that his, uh, you know, he was coming home with his wagon, the wheel fell off, and a friend came by to help him fix it. And because he helped him fix it, uh, he invited him over for soup. He tells his wife who it is, and she is, you know, unhappy because she says, 
he died a while ago. Yes. He's actually yes. dead. And so I don't know who you were talking to. And then you hear the knock on the door. The man comes in and, uh, you know, she's questioning him about why, you know, I heard you died. What are you doing here? And calls him uh, Dibuk. 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 Yep. A Jewish, uh, a demon in Jewish, uh, I don't know, theology well, or lore? It, it, well, actually, it's not a demon. It is a disembodied spirit. And they kind of came up around 13th, 14th century. So folklore, less than theology. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so, <laughs> and they argue, <laughs> he's like telling her, yeah, well, it's not that big. Of, like, I, no, actually, I got really sick and then I got better. So I don't know, uh, you know, what you heard. And she basically stabs him with an ice pick and he starts to laugh and the, the wound isn't bleeding. And she's like, there, see, he's a Dubuque because he's not, uh, you know, he's all, he's really, really fine. And he's, you know, as he's laughing, he then starts feeling weakness and then his wound starts to bleed and he gets up and stumbles out of the house and the husband is really distraught. He's like, you ruined us. As soon as they find the body, they'll know we killed him. And she's like, no, we're going to be just fine because that wasn't a person. That was a spirit. That was a debut. Right. And then it ends. And the movie starts. And we never come back to that again. So, Right. So let's get into it. And we can discuss it. What this means. Why it's even here. So, so what's your theory about what the purpose is? Uh, let's uh, let's start the movie. Okay. And then we'll discuss it because I think it's going to be really interesting to watch it while we discuss why. Because some okay. things are said that I think matter. So we're, okay. we're paused at all zeros. Uh, just like before, if you've uh, never heard this before, you should have seen it already. I recommend you see it before you watch it with us. We're going to pr- uh, play. Th- uh, we're going to say three, two, one and press play. And then that's when you press play. So. Three, two, one, play. Okay. Oh, and I guess I turn my volume down. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, bubbles, focus, features comes up, should be lined up with us somewhat. Yes. So yeah, what does this mean? So accept uh, the mystery, I think, as the character <laughs> says in the movie later on. Um, I do think that it's uh, the ambiguity of uh, of life, we really don't know what's happening, and we never will. Oh, here we have a quote co- uh, a quote from uh, Rashi. Rashi, Re- yeah. receive with simplicity everything that happens in life. Now, Rashi was a famous me- medieval commentator, and he's still highly, highly respected. And so, if you do any Jewish studies at all, you're going to come across Rashi. I, I have not heard this quote attributed to him so ah. um knowing the cone brothers it probably is rashi um but yeah but it wouldn't <laughs> surprise me if it wasn't and they just made that up because they are right weird directors <laughs> like when uh, fargo if you guys have ever seen fargo uh they say at the beginning based on a true story and it isn't yeah, at all. And <laughs> some people say that the reason is because it's a comedy. It's a goofy, crazy comedy. Unless it really happened, then it's much darker. And so that could be right. part of it. And here we have this story happening where the husband comes home. He's very happy because of, uh, you know, he thought he was stuck in the snow and a friend helped him. And she's about to tell his wife who it is. And she's going to be very shocked. Uh, yeah, um, mm-hmm. it is. Because there's some, I think we have this debate between rationality and superstition, maybe. Mm-hmm. Believing mm-hmm. that there's something, that the universe is much more complex and, you know, than, and then, you know, than we could see, uh, you know, objectively, while the general, mm-hmm. the man, the husband is, uh, no, no, he's much more rational. He doesn't believe in that what happened was supernatural. And I think that that's basically the discussion being had throughout the movie. Yeah. Well, and where is that line? Where does the supernatural and the, the tangible, rational side of things, where do they merge? Where do they diverge? I, I think that's a really good question that I think everyone who wrestles with faith kind of has to figure out. Right. And so, 
And I think uh, we got a, go ahead. I was gonna say we got a lot of Jewish lingo going on here. By the way, they're speaking uh, Yiddish, not Hebrew, for someone who doesn't know. Right. So I know some of the words, but not all of them. <laughs> <laughs> it leads to a really weird, you know, did I have a stroke moment? <laughs> right. <laughs> but it, it is this thing where she for sure knows that this person passed away. And so who is this person that's now at our door? And the husband, I'm sure he, I mean, they're obviously very Jewish. They're, you know, they're very spiritual and religious. But he is more rational. He's like, okay, yes, I get, I believe in God. I believe in spirits, but this is, I'm trusting what I see physically in front of me. Yeah. And on a day-to-day basis, I'm going to go with what's practical and common sense. And that's going to rule my life. And, you know, even, you know, hospitality is common sense and practical. Sure. And so I love that, uh, uh, that compliment there. Your legs are stout. But, and we we also hear that this guy, you know, he he's a well respected elder. He he's a rabbi. He he studied the Zohar, which is a major uh, Jewish text. It, it's the basis for Kabbalah, and uh, it's very involved and very. Oh my goodness, I I've read sections of it, but it's hard to decipher. So someone who can wrap their mind around that book, mm. um, you know, it's. I'm not recommending it because there's some really messed up ideas, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, that just tells you the stat- status of who he is because it, it's still very much studied, particularly in Orthodox Judaism. So, yeah. Uh, and, and what I would imagine is one doesn't just jump into that. They have to have read, okay. studied quite a bit before they even get to that book. Am I, am I right oh, to assume was, that? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and, and for, for centuries, it was only taught um, by word of mouth from a master to a specific student who was groomed to receive that kind of information. Because uh, if you were unworthy, some people said it could drive you crazy. And so <laughs> even though now you can get it, uh, you know, you can get copies of it uh, online or at your local library, uh, it, it's still, if you think about it too much, uh, it's going to break your brain because one of the, the the elements that I found interesting is there's a teaching that everything is created out of the right combination of Jewish letters. And so the right combination of these letters create reality. And so uh, if you know how to rationally label and organize things, then you know how to deal with reality. And so even within the Zohar, there's a conflict between spiritual and reality. And so that's very much just ingrained within certain sects of the Jewish culture that are still, like I said, very vibrant and very alive today. Hmm. So, yeah, they've they've managed to put a whole lot in a very tiny piece. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so what is your... uh conclusion as to i mean i don't think it's uh it's necessary to guess whether this person is a real person or a spirit but why is this being told at the beginning of this movie your theory you know i i you know i think in some ways it's kind of i I was thinking of it as continuity how we can kind of see we we know the stories based loosely are inspired by job the book of the bible so Mm -hmm. this ancient telling then we kind of have this middle you know, mid-ages, middle age came as talk. Middle age kind of uh, occurrence that has the same kind of conflict. And then we have a, a more modern, when I say more modern, 1960-something. And then we're still in the middle of it. So it's almost like you've got these points of connection of the conflict that it's always been there. It will always be there. And so um, I, I think that's part of what what it is, is that you, we never escape this, this question. Mm. And... So, and now I did read one theory that said, you know, this is the, you know, the ancestors of our main characters later on, and that this is what um, provoked a curse in order to uh, make their life so miserable. And uh, the Cohen brothers, I don't think they ever cleared that up. They never not, uh, confirmed or denied it. Right. So, <laughs> Which I don't think is their, I, I think they're the kind of directors that want us to figure it out for ourselves. It doesn't matter what they meant by it. They want us to unravel it for ourselves, and it could mean something to one person and something different to somebody else, and it doesn't matter to them because I I think that that's how they make films, like for us to kind of figure it out on our own. 
Absolutely. Now, I do want to point out what she says there is not good riddance at the end of this little event. Mm. She actually, um, she's reciting part of the parental blessing that you give a child uh, at their bar mitzvah. And it is basically blessed, be, blessed you, sorry, bless you, God, who has released me from this evil one's um, can't read my own writing, but, but, but from the power of the evil one is basically what it boils down to. So you have that weird little tie in there because we know that the bar mitzvah, I know it's going to be part of the, the upcoming story. Mm-hmm. And so she, it's interesting to me that they chose that particular thing to have her say, but then the subtitles are very misleading. Mm. So the subtitle is not what, what she says at all. Yeah, I think it says uh, God uh, blessed, bless, bless be God, and uh, good riddance to evil, or something that's, to that effect. Yeah, that's what that's it, what it says in the subtitle. Oh, okay, so mine just says good riddance. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so or, yeah, <laughs> and so well, it shows you that um, different um, different uh, subtitle companies say have different things. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they did. I, I didn't point this out. There was uh, a mention of the Shadim. So she talks about the Shadim in there. And that is actually the, the Hebrew word for demon. And so she kind of conflates the two. Hmm. And so I thought that was kind of interesting because even the Cohen brothers aren't making a disti- distinction between a Dibuk and a Shadim, even though you would you would traditionally have that. Mm. And so, and I was trying, okay, so my, my spoken Hebrew is so bad, I could not make out their declining a noun there um, in the Hebrew class. I wanted to know what they were saying, because oh. I figured there was something nice there, but I never could quite grab it. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, now we were open in uh, the seven, six, late 60s, early 70s, maybe, uh, both uh we have Arthur Gropnik and his, you know, at the doctor's office, and his son at school at uh, learning uh, Hebrew, mm-hmm. and uh, him listening to uh, Jefferson Airplane, of course, the famous song uh, <laughs> "Somebody to Love," which, and I know we'll bring it back up at the end of the movie. What I love about it is that the head rabbi, the most, you know. The one that uh, mm-hmm. Arthur is trying to talk to, he talks to uh, his son, and he says, "When the truth is found to be lies," and I would imagine that it's just a silly rock song to us, but if a philosopher hears those lines, "When the truth is found to be lies, and all hope within you dies," a philosopher can have a field day just thinking about that. Right. You know, or, and because again, the next line is, don't you want somebody to love? When this happens, don't you want somebody to love? And for a Jewish philosopher, a theologian would just eat that up. And so, oh, yeah. Especially when your brain's been been trained to to dissect all this. I mean, part of the, the huge elements of Kabbalah is to find. The puzzles, the patterns, the, the that's the basis of where we get into the Bible code stuff is what are the, the secret messages within the Torah? Mm. And so, which, you know, we're kind of doing the same thing with the movie. What is this really trying to tell us? Because we don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> there is no, which, I mean, this is basically a retelling of the story of Job, slightly different because in Job, he doesn't fail. And spoiler, Job doesn't fail. Right. But Arthur does. Right. And I don't think, I, at the end of the day, Job tells us a story and it doesn't give us an answer. Yeah. It just explains that this is how the world works. And Absolutely. that's the only answer we're going to have. And there's no answer to this either. What What is this, you know, what's this trying to tell us? What's the thought here? And we don't know because life is ambiguous. It is chaotic, <laughs> which is what I continue to say. And I don't know if I'm being fair or maybe, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I, I continually say life is meaningless. <laughs> There's no purpose to life. And to me, that's a joyous thing to hear. But maybe I should, uh, you know, not say it so much to people who don't understand what I mean. <laughs> well, and I think I, I think. 
the problem is that there's not a lot of meaning in the things we want to ascribe meaning to. And so sometimes we have to get this very eternal mindset and be thinking beyond ourselves and trying to get an eternal perspective. Then things have meaning. But it, you know, it's hard to hang on to that in this day and age and on your day and day to day life. You know, how do you have an eternal perspective about doing laundry or doing your dishes? And so and they're the teachers telling the son, you Hebrew, you basically you got to speak Hebrew. I don't want to hear you unless you're speaking um, Hebrew, because th- that's another theme. There's this like really weird disconnect between this child and his father. Mm-hmm. And he he has no real basis in this in this language he doesn't know anything beyond you know how to decline and and parse and you know, the, that doesn't help you very far in understanding hebrew yeah. and so he hasn't been immersed in this culture and so i think there's a there's some really uh, interesting points because uh we're going to see that the poor boy is studying for his bar mitzvah alone right and so he and that shouldn't happen his grandfather or his father should be there coaching him along the way Right, not just the rabbis. So. It's, yeah, he when he's studying the Hebrew, he's like listening to a record of the prayer that he has to learn, and he's just trying to learn it phonetically. He's not trying to understand mm-hmm. the what he's saying or what he's, you know, yes. reciting. He's just trying to repeat the sounds that the person is making on the record. Yes, he's parroting without any real understanding, right. and I think this is a really nice parallel, and we're going to see this parallel over and over again with the dad and the son, and the chalkboards here is the the big point, you know, where they've got the, the teacher with the chalkboard, and this dad was, and of course we saw the, the right ear of the boy with the headset, and the, <laughs> then looking at the right ear, so we're going to see those parallels played out. Right. And Columbia Records. Oh my gosh, how many of us owe, still owe Columbia Records money? Probably well, they went out of business because they just uh, not enough people paid for all the records they sent out. But yeah, but even that, he's trying to explain the you know the the dead cat, you know the <laughs> Chekhov's cat or no Chekhov's gun. It's I forget whose cat it is. Uh, uh, Schrodinger's Schrodinger's cat. <laughs> where if you open a box, it'll unleash. Uh, poison and kill the cat, but if you keep it closed, then maybe the cat's dead, maybe it's not, but you don't know. Either way, the cat's dead. That's essentially, right. it's the paradox. He Or the cat is both alive and dead at the same time. Exactly. And so again, is the cat alive or dead? We don't know. That's the paradox. And Arthur Gopnik, what I kind of appreciate what he's trying to do is he's trying to understand everything through mathematics. You can mathematically mm-hmm. figure everything out, and he mm-hmm. can't. Well, that's why I'm a Christian. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I realized at some point that I, science, math, or otherwise was not going to answer everything. And so, and even like this, this whole conversation going on is a bit of a paradox, too, because I understand the physics. I just can't do the math. Right. And I identify with this young man so much. Right. <laughs> I love the concept of physics. Don't ask me to do the math. Right. And, <laughs> and I love that he says, like, well, even I, but math is the whole thing. Even I don't understand the cat. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think that's kind of the the way things go with, we've got these two people, who two types of people where the math makes sense or the story makes sense. And it's hard to find someone they both uh, makes sense too, mm-hmm. uh, and which wonderful I, phone call. Yeah, but which um, what do you call it? Uh, it could go, go back to the beginning of the of the story, the the first story that we saw. The husband is figuring everything out mathematically, you mm-hmm. know, rationally, and then there's the spiritual aspect of it, which leaves you kind of questioning everything. Because mathematics Absolutely. can't explain it, and so you try to find a spiritual answer. And to her, to the wife, perfectly good answer. He's a debuk. You know, that's the answer <laughs> spiritually. And he's like, no, he's a man, and now he's dead. <laughs> that's mathematically that's the answer. And we don't really have to go any further than that. Yeah. I don't need any more proof. Right, and so... that's the paradox <laughs> again with the, exactly. with the dead cat. And okay. So th- this conversation between the boys here, 
the the kid that keeps dropping the f bomb, I'm convinced he's just like an adolescent version of John Goodman's par- uh, character in Big Lebowski. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, what I kind of love about this is that when you're a young kid and you first start cussing, you just cuss all the time. You just every chance you get, every chance you get, because now I get to cuss and now I'm just going to use it, you know, left and right, and it's hilarious. And then the daughter, bless her heart. I mean, she she is like so shallow. She almost doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, all she wants to do is wash her hair. She wants to go hang out with her friends. She's saving it for a nose job. <laughs> and so, and then the neighbor, uh, the wonderful neighbor. You gotta love the neighbor too. Yeah. So, uh, there, and I actually, if you as we go along, if you'll pay attention, the neighbor actually tries to be helpful. Yeah. And so the neighbors, like it, it, one of the things I did read was there was a tendency that, or a, an intention of trying to make sense of the fact that, you know, poor, um, oh goodness, Gopnik, he, he just doesn't understand what is going on with the neighbor. Even he can't comprehend the neighbors trying to be helpful. Mm. So, uh, cause he's so enmeshed in his own problems. And can't look out beyond himself. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Stake my claim to my 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 lawn there. Yeah. Uh, have you ever seen anyone playing catch so aggressively? No. I think, <laughs> uh, and here we have because again another problem. The, the movie is basically Arthur having problem after problem after problem, and. I guess because the word, he, the phrase he keeps saying is I didn't do anything as in, mm-hmm. I didn't do anything to deserve this, but di- you know, a different way of understanding it is I didn't do anything to prevent this. I didn't do anything right. to make things better. So all of this is happening because of inaction, exactly. including the neighbor who's mowing his lawn and he's mowing into part of Arthur Gopnik's lawn and he's mm-hmm. not really doing anything to stop his neighbor from doing that. It's yeah, he he's just letting it go, and that's what the whole movie really boils down to. Most of his problems, if you look at, them, are all boundary issues, right? And he never learns how to set a proper boundary. The neighbor's just the most concrete version of that. And now the the wife here asking about the get, yeah. Um, Okay, and a get is a ritual divorce, for those who don't know. Mm-hmm. You can have a legal divorce, but you aren't divorced in the Jewish culture um, unless you, you get the get. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and so the fact that she's suddenly very, I mean, we don't really have a whole lot of, um, Oh my goodness. It, it, there's not a lot of overt Jewish practices within this house. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, they go to synagogue, they, they do their things there and they're members of the community, but they really, you don't see a, a lot of, a lot of overt um, practices. So the fact right. that suddenly now she's, she's really into this, I, I need this. I've got to have this, right. and and you're going to give it to me because you're going to be an adult. Yeah, this this wonderful um, guilt trip because <laughs> y- you need to to respond favorably and maturely to the fact that I've been sneaking around with a neighbor. Yeah, I, I'm going to so. ask you for a divorce, and I need you to do this for me, and you're going to do it because you know, and yeah, and so she's been. <laughs> Seeing a, a, a friend, I don't even know who, the, <laughs> but everyone's shocked to hear yeah. that guy. Really? <laughs> yeah, and, and she says she doesn't want to be a chained woman, is what the word translates to. And I'd probably try to butcher it if I pronounced it. Uh, but a chained woman is a woman who doesn't have that ritual divorce. And what's interesting, they were originally a really they were an act of kindness in Judaism because you know men would go off to war or they take a business trip or what have you, and they just disappear, and their wives couldn't prove they had died. And so the gets were written to provide an out for a wife whose husband disappeared. Hmm. And there's actually a huge movement within the modern Jewish community of men who refuse to give the gets (laughs) in order to, sorry, the pun just drives me crazy. Uh, They refuse to give it to their wife because 
out of vindictive and natures and malice and all of that stuff. And so, um, and before, if a husband refused to give a wife a get, the the elders of the village would basically do whatever it took to make it happen, hmm. including beating the crap out of him. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So if your wife wanted out, she had an out, even though the husband had to be the one who who gave it. Yeah. So. <laughs> this is such an interesting discussion because, again, before the student, there was a student who failed a test and he wanted a better grade and Arthur didn't want to give it to him. And so he leaves and Arthur finds an envelope full of money and is now saying that, well, you're trying to bribe me and that's, uh, that's you know, you can't do that. It's... <laughs> Right. And this is a good window into who he is. He's not going to be someone who actively does something wrong. He mm-hmm. tries to get out of it. He tries to give Clive a way out of it. Yeah. And, you know, he's just absolutely not. And Clive isn't having any of it. He's going to deny all knowledge of this this uh, money and where it came from. Right. And, and what's interesting here is he, he makes a very good point. There's consequences morally if you make choices. And and so he can't seem to find that connect in his own life. Now, really cool, interesting tidbit here. Um, the me, sir, my, sir, um, <laughs> that this kid says, actually in, in Yiddish, it sounds like ugly story. Hmm. And so there might be a little bit of a clue that this is an ugly story. Yeah. And, and that's the reason why Arthur looks kind of taken aback. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> it's not just, I didn't understand you. There's something in there. So you've got the son with the uh, singing Hebrew. Yeah. Listening to it. And, and it was quite I, beautiful. Mm-hmm. It, it is beautiful singing. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's like uh, there, there's all this kind of music out there that I would love to actually be into. And, but I don't know if I see myself listening to this record just, you know, on an afternoon. <laughs> right. But I just wish I could get into something like this. Well, and the singing of the scriptures is such a huge part of why we know how the Hebrew words were pronounced, where to put the emphasis and where the breaks in the sentences are. If we hadn't had that going back centuries, Mm. we wouldn't know how to pronounce so much of the so many of the Hebrew words because there's no vowel markings in ancient Hebrew. Right. And this is what's preserved that pronunciation, even when Hebrew as a language being used day to day was lost. And so it, it was a, a very useful tool. And okay, and we got to talk about the cyst. I mean, come oh, on. I know. <laughs> How gross. <laughs> to do this in front of. And uh, I, I'd hate to, uh, you know, I'm not going to mention anything, but being having been in and out of the hospital for the last three years, there's just some things that you're like, ah, this is just a thing that I have to deal with. And mm-hmm. anyone around me has to deal with it too. I'm sorry, but <laughs> this is just, and again, I, I'm very self-conscious, especially in front of my wife who has to deal with it with me. And she's mm-hmm. been nothing but the best. She's like, okay, that's fine. I'm not, I don't think it's weird or gross or anything. And I'm like, well, oh, but how could you not? It's got to be, you know, I mean, cleaning my, you know, uh, you know, surgery scars wounds and, and stuff. wounds yeah. and stuff. And just like, there was just this moment of me uh, laying on my side with my pants around my knees and her cleaning my scar. And I look up at her and I said, marriage am i right <laughs> she's just yeah she's like kind of giggled because you know i have this ugly scar and she's cleaning it for me and it's just that's what people do but well and i think there's a level of when it is your spouse it's not so gross you right. just you know you, you deal with it and it's i know ty and i we've been married for 13 years it's the same i mean you sure you, you, and if it had been anybody else, there were things I've helped him with that I would never be able to help anyone else with. So, <laughs> uh, but no. you know, that familiarity where you really are one and it's the same as taking care of yourself. So, and <laughs> oh my Lord, Ken, then, dear Cy Abelman. Yeah. He shows up <laughs> and he, 
is both the sweetest and nicest and yet most obnoxious and you know annoying person at the same time. See, and I think he's smarmy. He comes across as oh. a used car salesman. I think that's 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 probably what it is. It's both of them combined, right? Super nice in a most annoying and like horrible yeah, way. He's the guy you can't hit because then you look like the jerk. Yeah, even though he totally deserves it. <laughs> But he's essentially, he's the guy that his wife is leaving him for. And so he brings over a bottle of wine and says, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. Isn't everything fine? Everything's just great. And he's like, and yeah, Arthur can't, just doesn't know what the heck to say. He's so confused that this man is uh, just, being so polite to him. Yeah, and he... he doesn't know how to to set that boundary and go no you're trying to destroy my family yeah. <laughs> and then yeah but he's also i think this scene here with this, the kid running um you know th there's this he can't even protect his own family yeah and the only reason why the bully doesn't whip the kid's butt is because he can't catch him <laughs> and so and the kid has basically said, you know, I can't rely on dad for anything except for TV repair. Right. <laughs> so. <laughs> but again, and, the, and the son also walks all over the dad. He just said, every time he calls, he doesn't call to say, how's it going? <laughs> hey, oh, no, something horrible happened to mom. He's just, uh, F troop is fuzzy. So <laughs> go, <laughs> go to the roof and fix the, uh, the antenna. And again, yeah. he signs himself, he signs his dad up to uh, the Columbia Record Club and, you know, right. just feels fine about doing it. <laughs> Absolutely no qualms. No qualms. <laughs> and I kind of wonder if this isn't like some kind of veiled reference to David and Bathsheba. That's and what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> and it, there's also a really great joke here because he's fiddling with the aerial antenna on mm -hmm. the roof. So he's fiddling on the roof. <laughs> and that's so, very good. <laughs> I didn't think I didn't <laughs> go that far with it, but that, that's actually very nice. Yeah. <laughs> but that's such a Cohen brother thing to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How many people, and I think it's really interesting that he's, he is like, he's almost touching each, you know, little was a strut. Like it's a, a an instrument a string, yeah, and producing a different sign and a, a different sound. Uh, then and we then have Bathsheba. Here, yeah, here he is. He's uh, he sees spots of the neighbor who's sunbathing topless in her backyard, and he stands there and stares. And funny enough, he stares for so long that we don't even notice it. Just like him, he doesn't realize how long he's been standing there. But it cuts to him being sunburned. That's how long mm -hmm. he's been standing there staring at this woman. And <laughs> yeah, well, how obvious is point. he? I didn't realize. <laughs> I kept waiting for him to get startled and like fall off the roof. That I know. was my, the first time I watched this. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just so awkward. I mean, everything about the scene feels so awkward. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. It's weird that this guy in, like, you know, slacks and, <laughs> and a button-down shirt and standing on top of a roof. <laughs> Just very blatantly standing there. <laughs> but, Look yeah. at me. See me. <laughs> but it's the thing. It's I think you're right because she is in her own backyard, you know, behind, a, you know, a wall sunbathing mm -hmm. and he's on top of the roof staring down at her just watching just staring very awkwardly <laughs> and he then goes over to try to help her like being trying pretending to be a neighborly later on and I'm, I'm a nice guy <laughs> yeah you don't need to feel threatened by me at all right <laughs> Uh, and, and but you know that's kind of the way we we look at so many of the things in our world. I mean, as long as no one actually does anything to us, and then they're okay, right? You're sure. a good guy if you don't do it. Yeah. You know, instead of going, you know, no, the, there's some things you just don't entertain. Walking up to the line. There's some things yeah. you don't. Exactly. Exactly, and then the mentaculus. Um, oh yeah. 
dear Lord. Now, when you look at this, and they, they, I had to stop on some of the images. Okay, this is actually, we've got writing in Hebrew, but some of the diagrams are very, very similar to that Kabbalah tree of life that um, if you study any Kabbalah, you're going to see that immediately. Mm. And so Arthur, not Arthur, um, his brother, is really very much into the, um, yeah, Arthur, sorry, I'm, names are getting confused. Oh, sure. Very much into that Kabbalah kind of mystical way of making sense of the world. Yeah. And his brother Richard. Uh, so, yeah, Arthur. Oh, I keep calling. Yeah. I, ca- I was Arthur calling the wrong Larry. one. Yeah, I'm the main character is Larry Gopnik. Sorry, I, you've been calling him Arthur this whole time. Yeah, it's not me. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Arthur. But you're right, and you know, I think that Arthur is much more interested in his Jewish tradition than Larry is, you know, Mm -hmm. because he's later on, he's talking about how God has never given him anything, you know? And so he feels betrayed by that. But I don't know the motivation for his, his, his devotion. Is it because he wants to worship God or is it because he wants God to, to do good things right all right you know it, it you know, basically his whole attempt at trying to figure this out is so he can play cards more efficiently <laughs> you, yeah, know? Know. So, you know yeah it's like uh, i will serve you lord if you will give me enough money and <laughs> let me get my thrills yeah and, and yeah and we and we need to be careful because that's not just a jewish thing i mean you cannot be anywhere in Bible Belt America without running across the the um, the prosperity gospel just running rampant. Sure. And so, and but yeah. But, well, um, because a, a big thing again, I've mentioned it a million times. I'm big into Ecclesiastes, and this um, made me go back to look at uh, Job, and they. It sounds like. Ecclesiastes and Proverbs are part of the uh, the what do you call those three books the the wisdom the literature. wisdom literature like they contradict mm-hmm. each other. Whereas Proverbs mm-hmm. say, if you do this, then this will happen. If you worship God, you'll be blessed. If you save your money, you will be prosperous. If you help people, they'll help you. And Ecclesiastes kind of says something different. Ecclesiastes says that's not necessarily true, right. but. What it's actually saying is, no, it may be true. It's just never, it's not going to work out all the time. And more than that, you shouldn't be doing it to, you shouldn't be doing good just to get something good in in return. You should be doing good just for, you know, because it's the right thing to do because God (laughs) commands it. Regardless of the outcome, do what's right, you know? And I and I think that's kind of put out here in the movie. And I think we kind of see that that it, you know, even if you don't have all the answers, like the rabbi at the final, um, the final scene with him, you know, where he says, you know, he quotes Jefferson Airplane and says, "But be of a good boy, mm-hmm. you know, be be a good boy. That's what you're supposed to do, and that's that's the answer. You don't have to overthink it. We got the kid running again." <laughs> in the background and that's the other thing like there's all this stuff going on in the background of the movie that isn't like demanding attention but it's there (laughs) so and uh, but i i do think that when we see these similarities uh, with job in particular you know one of the things that job did that poor Larry's not doing is he went to God and he said, I want the answers. I need the answers. Right. You've got to give me the answers. And he just stayed after it, even when everything had fallen apart. And so, and I think that's what we're called to emulate is to keep returning to God and seeking those answers where you know, Larry's just kind of bumbling through and hoping he doesn't <laughs> get hit by a bus the next day. Yeah. Hoping somebody <laughs> tells him what the answer is. Right. And, and, you know, and there's a great place in our life for spiritual guidance and, and wisdom and good leadership. But sometimes we just need to stop and, and be with God for a minute. Mm-hmm. So, I, and I, I don't think we're very good at that. Yeah. And it's, it's hard because God doesn't talk fast. <laughs> right. I, and I'm, I love the book of Job. 
And a lot of people really don't like it because Job has done nothing wrong and God, well, not God directly, but indirectly takes everything away from him and causes him to suffer. And then at the end, you know, when Job asks why, God says, how dare you ask me why? And I don't see it Where that way. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? <laughs> exactly. To me, it sounds more like a dad chastising his son. Like, you need to cut your hair and get a job because this world is rough <laughs> and I've experienced it. I've been through it already. And you think I'm punishing you, but I'm not. I'm helping you. You just don't realize it yet. And okay, that's not what God says, but it's like that. Like when a dad says that to his son, you don't understand this world and I do. So don't lose mm -hmm. faith. Don't be, don't think that I'm hurting mm -hmm. you or punishing you. There is much bigger things going on that you will never understand. And I've been through it. Yeah. I know it. So trust me mm -hmm. is what, what it says. But I, I think people miss that. I don't think people, you know, because it sounds kind of mean because of the time period that it was written in and not exactly the answer we want to hear. It sounds meaner than, but I think it's God telling Job that there's something that you just don't get. You don't understand it. And mm -hmm. you kind of have to, you know, just trust me on this. Well, the, one of the things that was very prevalent in Job's time period is basically if you make the proper sacrifices, you do the right rituals, you, you know, follow the rules, then the God you serve, and not just the God of Israel, but the God you serve is going to be obligated to do certain things for you. Mm. And, you know, you can basically buy him off. And Job, his story flies in the face of that and says, no, God's not obligated to do anything for you. Right. And the, the real question is, can you remain faithful and true to him even when he doesn't behave the way you want him to? And, you know, I think that's a very real and pertinent question that anybody who's been living the Christian faith for any length of time and has gone through hardship, you know, they, they have to have a new hip, like, like you make it sound like it's a big deal. <laughs> uh, you know, they're, they're taking care of an aging parent. I, you know, all these things that, that take their toll on us mentally, physically, spiritually. If we have not said, hey, I don't understand why then we aren't really examining our lives or examining our faith. And right. saying why is not being unfaithful or disloyal. It, it's actually sometimes what drives us to seek God even more. Yeah. It, and again, another great philosophy, I'm sorry, great scene with another <laughs> one of these uh, paradoxes where the, the son, the father of the kid who fail is failing goes to our uh, goes to I'm sorry goes to Larry and says uh you're def you're uh, def defaming my son and he's like well I haven't said anything to anybody so I haven't defamed him yet and he and he's like oh okay then give him a passing grade he's like I can't do that and he's like well then I'll sue you for taking the bribe and he's like what bribe if there's no bribe you know, if, if he didn't, right. he didn't give me the bribe. You're claiming he didn't give me the bribe, but you're going to sue me for taking it if I, you know, if I don't give him a passing grade. It makes no sense. And and his <laughs> this gentleman says to Larry, accept the mystery. Yeah. <laughs> just just take the money, give him his grade, and accept the mystery. It's. <laughs> Well, and sometimes I think as believers, that's what we have to do. I think we have to be okay accepting the mystery. And, that you know, that is kind of the overarching mystery of this movie. Did Clive really leave the money? Right. Is there really a moral quandary in accepting it if he can't definitively say that's where it came from? And so another way that we have that tension just layer upon layer built into this movie mm -hmm. and so i'm and i'm i love the fact that they're you know they've got a point but they they are really making sure that you don't miss it yeah <laughs> and even in ways you may not consciously be aware of the first time you watch it because i watched this movie probably right after it first came out mm -hmm. and i honestly couldn't tell you what it was about <laughs> 
<laughs> because yeah. it was so understated. And then you brought it up and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is good. <laughs> yeah, I, I've watched it a million times just trying to unravel it, just trying to figure it out because it says a lot. And I think one of the things that I think people don't like, or it bugs me when people say God has a plan. When something bad happens, they say God has a plan. Or, and again, I go back all the time to, you know, God has a person set aside just for you. And right. my answer is no, he doesn't. He has an overarching plan that does, involves you or it doesn't. That's up to us. Whether we are a part right. of that plan, that's up to us. But he doesn't care if you're dating the girl that, like, you know, you <laughs> you find a girl and God will bless you, but he doesn't have somebody set aside just for you. And there's, there is not a, again, this isn't the world God created. God created a perfect world for us with paradise and everything mm -hmm. good. And we messed it up. We ruined right. it. And so now this world is a world of chaos and randomness, and it's not what God intended. So God didn't yeah. give children cancer. Cancer exists in the world, and children get, you know, get sick. It's an awful thing that happens. Mm -hmm. But God didn't do that. You know, this is just a broken world yeah. that we live in. And it's not part of his overarching plan for horrible things to happen to little kids. It's just the awfulness that we live in, you know, and he is trying yeah. to help us through it. There's no answers to everything. It's just, you know, things happen. <laughs> and I don't think people the, like the to hear that. Well, I think the beauty of our faith isn't that God has plotted out this course that we can't deviate from, or we're going to mess everything up. It's that he has the ability to redeem everything and not only the ability, but the desire to mm. redeem everything. Yes. And so we, had this invitation to bring all the broken crap to him and go, I need help. Yeah. And he's faithful in that. And sometimes it takes a while. And so, but if we, we remember he's faithful, then we can have the, the, the fortitude to continue. Yeah. And so, yeah, I agree. A lot of people don't like the idea of, Oh, well, what if, you know, God doesn't know what's going to happen. That's not what I said. Right. I'm just saying he didn't cause this. I, I, I don't, it's, it's just out of line with his character. When we say that God, you know, had ordained um, a million starving children in Africa. Right. That That's not the God I know. This is the God who takes children into his lap. And this is the God who feeds those who are hungry. And you know what? We need to step up and do better and try to be an active participant in the redemption of this mess that we've created as a collective thing called humanity. Mm -hmm. So, and I just, yeah, <laughs> that's one of my pet peeves. <laughs> it's quit attributing evil to God. Come on guys. Right. That's just, it's just wrong. And you gotta uh, love this rabbi. A uh, real quick note for people who don't know Hashem is uh, a way of referring to God in the Jewish custom that actually prevents people from actually accidentally saying God. Mm -hmm. So that's a very polite way to, to address God or refer to God and still observe the, you know, not taking God's name in vain kind of idea. Um, <laughs> I kind of very much admire that kind of, and uh, I'm going to ask you about this point of view, this answer that this rabbi gives him. He goes to a rabbi to ask Francis, <laughs> but I kind of love the, the fact that like I had a friend who, and he would write, he, he made a booklet of, uh, of hymns that we would sing at Bible study. And he would, of course, uppercase, every time God is mentioned, he put it in uppercase. But when he said, I, you know, I love God or whatever, God, he would put it in lowercase, the I, because he was okay. showing humility that when it's God, uppercase, when it's me, I, I'm going to write it lowercase just out of humility. And I kind of admire that kind of love for God when you know, we can't refer to God to talk about God unless it is in very specific, you know, honoring situations. There's, there's like kind of a beauty in that, I feel, that I don't have, I don't do, <laughs> but I think I should honor God a little bit more in you, when I refer you know, to him. It's a balance. Because on one hand, God is terribly intimate and terribly present and you know just kind of like we were talking about the husband and wife relationship and cleaning out the wounds and how gross is that you know god's 
that kind of spouse, for lack of a better word. Um, and, and, you know, we can get too familiar and, and lose the awe. But at the same time, I, 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 I think there's, we need to find that tension, kind of like the movie, we need to find that tension mm-hmm. between that God who, you know, who's infinite and powerful and majestic and holy, and yet the God who, who's involved in our nitty gritty and, and not afraid. Because I think I grew up where God was so holy that my little stuff didn't bother him. Mm. My, my things were not important. So, you know, I think we've gone too far. Absolutely, with you know the Jesus is my boyfriend stuff, (laughs) but then we and yet in some ways we still have that very far division. And I, 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 we kind of missed it here, but I've got to to point out the the rabbi there and the parking lot. Just change your perspective. Just change your view. Oh my goodness! (laughs) For someone who's hurting, that's like just the worst advice in the world. I know. I mean. I think that there is a time and place to do that, but when you're in the pits of despair, you know, don't don't just flippantly offer that, that kind of device, advice. But they they flip that into like one of the best dark humor jokes in the world. Yeah, at the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, the advice that the rabbi gave him was just look at the parking lot. It doesn't seem like much, but if you were from another country and you've never seen a parking lot, it would be, you know, you would be in awe of it. So it's just, all you need is a change of perspective. And that does sound very much like a junior rabbi answer. Like (laughs) somebody who doesn't have... The youth director answer. (laughs) Right, exactly. Somebody who doesn't have much more experience other than the, you know, the the car sticker, you know, Mm -hmm. the bumper sticker theology. You know, there is something to be said for spiritual leadership pastors youth pastors whatever elders who have had some real life experience and have had to wrestle with these questions and they know better than to just offer some kind of hallmark platitude (laughs) and you know i I think that is one of the the most amazing things you can find is someone who's able to go hey i've been there done that i don't have a great answer but i'll be there with you yeah and and that's the other thing you know this guy kind of gets passed along the spiritual leadership in his community. And because now we've got one of what I feel like is the most frustrating scenes in the entire movie (laughs) (laughs) because (laughs) the stupid teeth. Oh yeah. And yeah, because it's set at, oh, I'm sorry, I'm at the wrong wrong place. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I got distracted. We were so busy talking to, we are at the lawyer's office. Right, and his son <laughs> and is calling son. him. <laughs> <laughs> F Troop is still blurry, Dad. Yeah, he's, he's talking to a divorce lawyer, and his son comes in asking him about to fix the aerial again. because <laughs> Getting paid by the hour, divorce lawyer. And, oh, the, the name of the motel cracks me up, because that's a pirate ship. Yeah. The, the Jolly, Jolly Roger. Roger. And, and so, you know, his life is being stolen from him. <laughs> so, nice little uh, homage there. Adequate accommodations. <laughs> they have a swimming pool. <laughs> we aren't going to talk about the fact it's empty. <laughs> yeah. And then another paradox that happens in the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Cy Abelman now is uh, going golfing, and uh, at the same time that uh, our, uh, Larry Gopnik is driving to work, and he sees the kid who he's failing and who uh, is um, trying to bribe him, and at the same time, they, they both get into a car accident to, at the same time, and... Uh, Cy Abelman, the man who's you know stealing his uh, his wife, dies in a horrible car accident. At the same time that Cy yeah. just has a or that Larry has a uh, you know a, a bumper, uh, you know, a little fender bender, little fender bender. Yeah. And so, what does well, that mean? It, what does know, that? It's, you know, it's almost, you know, I think a commentary on just the, how 
sometimes life is just very unpredictable. Yeah. You, you never know. And it could go either way because for a split second, you kind of wonder who, who gets into the accident. Yeah. And so you, it could, it could have been either of them. And <laughs> so and the Columbia house yeah, he, representative, he gets a call from Columbia <laughs> house because his son signed him up to, and again, this line comes up again. He his son signs him up to Columbia Record House, so he gets a record delivered to his house, and then he has to pay now for the membership. And he's like, "I don't, I didn't do anything. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't do anything." And the guy says, "That's right. You didn't cancel, so now you owe us money." Yeah. He's like, "No, but I didn't do anything." He's like, "Yes, precisely right. Because you didn't cancel, because you didn't do anything, now you owe us, you know, <laughs> the yeah. the bill for the right." Yeah. Because you didn't do anything. And then on top of that, I mean, like the whole movie really is about Larry paying for other people's decisions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's got the brother who's living with him because he doesn't go out. He doesn't do anything. Uh, You know, his wife wants a divorce because uh, she's having an affair. And so, (laughs) and it it goes back to that boundary stuff. I actually found this really great um, Martin Buber quote is and he, he gives a kind of paraphrase of job he says uh, this is job talking to um god talking to job it says 